0: Hey Ben, it's Eric. Hey Eric, it's Ben. Ben, how long have you been following NASCAR? All my life. Well, me too. So how fitting is it that this week we're the hosts of the A Lifetime in NASCAR podcast? A Lifetime in NASCAR highlights NASCAR's illustrious history with analysis and anecdotes from myself, Eric Estep, and NASCAR historian Ben White. We're going to discuss with you some contemporary NASCAR topics and everything we've heard through the years. You'll learn about where the sport has been, where it will go, and the inside scoop on some of the craziest stories you'll ever hear. Welcome to A Lifetime in NASCAR. This is episode 18. You might notice this is a different voice than you're probably used to hearing here. My name is Eric Estep. I'm the host of Out of the Groove, filling in for Aaron Burns, who is busy this weekend with NASCAR heading to Charlotte, North Carolina for the Coca-Cola 600. I'm here with my new friend, Ben White. Ben, it's it's great to finally meet you. I've listened to you and Aaron for months at this point, but it's great to at least virtually meet you over, over Skype, how we're recording this.
1: Yeah, it's great to meet you also, Eric. I've uh, heard a lot of great things about you, and I've listened to your uh, podcast many times and do a great job with that, and welcome aboard. We have a lot of fun on this, and uh, as you know, a lot of times we're we have a, a little bit of a script, as I was saying before we came on, a little bit of a script, and sometimes we stay on the railroad tracks. So that's. Many times we don't. We just kind of say <laughs> what we want to say. So welcome, and it's good to have you help help us out today. I'm happy to be here. Hey, I call my show "Out of the Groove" for a reason because it's
0: common for me to get outside the 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 train the the train tracks. If you'll just as you said, so I I think I'm in the right place. It sounds like I found the right people here. But uh, I was talking to you before we went live a little bit, you know, about my history as a NASCAR fan because it, I I feel like it, it's a bit different even than Aaron's. So for for those who don't know, I started watching in 2004. I'm 23 years old now, so I was. Six, I think when I saw my first race on TV and I was seven or actually I was about I just turned eight. It was for my eighth birthday. I went to my first race at Texas Motor Speedway in 2005. And um, for me, what kind of fostered my growth as a NASCAR fan was playing the video games on like my PlayStation Two, the NASCAR Thunder video games, collecting all the the die cast. I still keep 164 scale cars on my desk everywhere I go. There's always one within arm's reach. You know, that was sort of how I grew and grew my attachment to to stock car racing grew and grew and grew and uh it's it's been quite the journey to this point i know you were saying before before we uh started recording ben that you started watching nascar and did you say it was 1972 your first race you went to
1: yes sure it was my my yeah my dad uh took my myself and a couple of brothers and a couple of our friends uh, to Darlington Raceway and he came in one day and see he said how would you guys like to go to a NASCAR race? And to be quite honest, I had no idea what it was. I remember seeing back in those days Richard Petty was uh, Advertising a couple of things on television at the time. There was a place uh, Up in our area it was it's was called Ray's hamburgers It was it was a fast food kind of thing, but it wasn't quite as big as some of the fast food uh, chains at the time but he was uh, Go uh, advertising raised hamburgers and Polaroid sunglasses and I, I that's the only thing I knew about NASCAR was Richard Petty so I said sure I'll go and why not it's a Sunday afternoon and it was free to us because my dad at the time worked he was a district executive for the Boy Scouts of America and he said if you guys wear your scout uniforms they'll let us in free I said wow. okay great so we'll do that So we went to the race, and I will never, ever forget seeing the cars come around the uh, first and second turns that day, and actually, years ago, they reversed that. So what would now be turns three and four was then turns one and two. And they came uh, across there, Bobby Allison and David Pearson. I'll never forget where the Pearson was on the pole. Bobby was on the outside of the front row. And they came uh, towards us, and I thought, this has got to be the coolest thing I've ever seen <laughs> with all the color of the cars. And the way the cars were set up then, they had the screen nets to keep the drivers in the car when they crashed. But they were set up in such a way where the drivers could you know reach out and wave to the fans. And I'll never, ever forget how each one of those drivers had their hands out waving to the fans and I thought I mean they sounded so cool, forty three cars coming down that stretch straight away. And then that that wasn't even when they were at full song, you know, when they had put mm-hmm. their foot into the throttle and they took the 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 green flag and came back around. I thought, man, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen and three hundred and sixty seven laps. Or then I think it was like the rebel 400 so it wasn't quite that many laps but i mean we were screaming like crazy and my dad kept saying to us what are you screaming for they can't hear you they can't hear you <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know i walked out of there thinking to myself i don't know what it's going to be but i've got to do something with nascar i got to do something so i drove race cars a little bit later on i wanted to be a race car driver that every, all of us out. did. Every,
0: every kid did. I, I grew. I'm six yeah.
1: foot seven, so I quickly got to where I'm too oh tall gosh. to
0: fit in the cars. I think. So I kind of like, ah, <laughs> all right, you know, I wouldn't play basketball yeah. instead.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I wanted to drive race cars. I worked for Richard Childress Racing as a crew member in 1980. One, and that didn't. I was okay. I enjoyed that, but that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I ended up going into journalism. I ended up going on the journalism side. That's how I opened the door. To get into nascar but i knew that day i said i've got to do something with nascar it's got to be something i was i just fell in love with it and and for 38 years as a journalist 48 years as a fan it's been part of my life and i just but i cannot describe to you how cool it was to see those cars for the very first time it was great absolutely yeah i, I even find now and i've been to not
0: nearly as many races as you have but something about that first race there are still a lot of just vivid images i remember from that mm-hmm. one that like i was at the race earlier this weekend and there's a lot i remember but very little of it found, found, feels as vivid as seeing tony stewart's bright orange home depot car in 2005 with matt Kenseth's black and yellow dewalt car rocking it around turn for it you know back then texas was so high bank they were hitting 200 miles at the end of the straightaway every every lap pretty much it was quite the spectacle but that's that's super super duper interesting i didn't know that you worked for a for a race team at one point what, what was your role there because it sounds like you were, uh, you were
1: probably pretty young I, I was. I was 1980, so I was 20 years old at the time, and this is back when Richard, quite honestly, didn't have two ru- two nickels to rub together. <laughs> he really he didn't. He was really really light on the money. He was running a Cup Series team, but it was up in Winston Salem. What, what was what was in Gum, Gumtree Road? Very very small. Matter of fact, I think you could probably put the existing lobby of RCR Enterprises would have made up the entire building Okay, wow. it was really small and my job with him was basically a gopher which is go for this go for that <laughs> uh, I, I worked in the engine teardown room and when the engines would come in uh, basically tearing the engines down and ironically my son and I have had this conversation many times my son's name is Aaron White Aaron works in uh, for ECR he is an engineer for them and wow. uh, it's funny that at the time, you know, I worked in the engine teardown room, and he works in the engineering side of the quality control area for ECR. And so the joke is, when I went to work for him, I would be covered in grease, you know, tearing down engines. <laughs> when he goes to work, he comes home cleaner than he went to work. It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a it's a an environmentally. Uh, controlled area, and it has to be, they have, and I get this, Eric, they have mats where when they walk in, the mat areas where their feet are, it, it somehow sucks the the debris or whatever off the bottom of their feet wow. so it doesn't in, come in contact with the parts, okay? This is really high tech stuff we're wow. talking about. So, I mean, it's like, you know, you come home cleaner than you went to work I had... in my day, It was, I was covered in grease and dirt, you know, so I was like, okay, things have gotten a lot better since I was there. But it was a a much smaller team and in the days when when he had uh, very little sponsorship and three or four cars and those types of things. So he's come a very, very long way from the days when I worked there.
0: That's, that's cool. I never knew that that the environments in, in which, you know, these days people work in engines, I had no idea it was that controlled, that it's sterile. Very
1: different. Yes, interesting. it is. Interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. Very technologically advanced than what it was in the day. Yeah.
0: Very interesting. Well, it, it's great for me to hear firsthand more about how you got uh, into the sport, how you got
1: interested, because I think
0: as I talk to people all the time, when they see race cars on track for the first time, they hear that roar, they feel their seats just you know shaking there's nothing else like that that's fantastic and and I feel like my perspective's always been a little bit different because I'm I was the first person in my family to get interested in race cars like my dad didn't really have any interest in racing none of my grandparents really had any interest in, interest in racing so it was when I kind of first started watching stuff on TV like I got my dad into NASCAR you know he came with me to the race this weekend in Austin you know he's a huge fan of it too and it's yeah, I feel like that's different. So I know with my show, I often try to sort of approach stories and approach topics from that angle. Like a lot of fans, it's like anything, it's passed down generationally. If if your father or mother was a fan of something or liked something, he's probably going to kind of imprint on their children in some way or another. But I was kind of the opposite. And I look at NASCAR and I try to see like – you know how can we reach more people like me as well as as continue to maintain the hardcore passionate fan base that've always existed and helped carry the sport to where it is today but that's super duper interesting so this weekend is a crown jewel race for the NASCAR Cup Series the Coca-Cola 600 will race on Sunday uh, the longest race still on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule Ben when was the first when did you first attend the Coca-Cola
1: 600 my first coca-cola 600 to be honest with you was 1983 and that was the first year that i was writing about nascar i always Mm -hmm. went to darlington darlington was my favorite track because that's where we first attended races Mm -hmm. and every year from 72 to 79 we went to the what was the spring race the rebel 300 400 500 was the one that we always attended and it, it was just a it, it it was a family affair kind of thing my mom uh, would always make sandwiches and and some incredible brownies and we, i'll tell you the the funny part about that going to darlington and i'm i'll shift over to charlotte but we we would always go to the local uh like the winn dixie uh, grocery stores because they had the 10 cent check colas we couldn't mm-hmm. afford to buy the Pepsis and the Cokes, they were too expensive. So we get the 10 cent check colas and take those to the racetracks. And, uh, but, but to answer your question, we go to, I went to Charlotte for the first time in 1983 and covered the race for the local newspaper. I still write for, and, um, it's just an incredible race because, uh, the distance, you know, the Mm -hmm. 600 was the only race. It still is on the NASCAR cup series schedule which started off being the Grand National cars, then it went to the Winston Cup circuit, and now it's called just the Cup Series. And that extra 100 miles is what really made the difference for the drivers, for the teams. It was always hot. Uh, it was the endurance the last 100 miles of that, because it was 600, not 500, was just put the cars and the drivers on the very edge, and that's what made the difference in that race. But. And still i say it still does the cars are much better than they used to be mm-hmm. but uh, yeah it's just that's what separated the race from from others and uh, and I, but you know what I think we're I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about what would you say would be the greatest uh, coca-cola 600 of all time or world 600 is what it was mm-hmm. called for many many years yeah and that has to be hands down the 1980 world 600 Daryl Waltrip Benny Parsons I'm not kidding you, Eric. That thing for the last 50 laps of it, it was Daryl was out front and Benny was out front. Daryl was out front, Benny out front. Um, you know, you just didn't know that nobody sat down for the last 50 laps. And it was That's absolutely awesome. the best race. And as it turned out, Benny ended up winning it over Daryl. And uh, it still goes down in history as being the best. They had rain delays. It was like a six and a half or seven hour race. It was the longest race of all time. But uh, Benny came out on top, and it was the very best one, in, in my opinion. Wow, yeah, that one
0: absolutely putting both drivers and cars to the test. If it was the drivers, especially, if it was six and a half, seven hours long. Fans to the test, I imagine. But yeah. it has, to, it must have been that exciting to keep them around. Yeah. I've so I've never been to the Coca-Cola 600. I've actually, I've only been to to Charlotte once, and so I haven't been to the, I have not seen a race there. I've been there to go to see a lot of the race shops and the Hall of Fame. I was there a few years ago, but uh, the Coke 600. Easily at or very near the top of my bucket list the first coke 600. I remember watching on TV And again, this is a to date myself was the 2005 coke 600, which was another kind of memorable race Correct me if I'm wrong does that still hold the record for like most cautions in a race? I think they had 22 in that one, at the time, it was a uh, you know it's a long race already, you know, constantly being slowed down, drama left and right, and of course we had a a great late finish between Jimmy Johnson and Bobby Labonte at the time. So that's like the earliest memory I have of the Coke 600. You know, going back, my favorite driver growing up was Matt Kenseth, and this is another question or another thing I want to talk about. Were was drivers who got their first career wins mm-hmm. in the Coke 600 because it's a pretty stout list. You have Matt Kenseth, who's a NASCAR went on to be a NASCAR Cup champion, uh, Jeff Gordon, I believe. Um, who else? There was. Oh, uh, K- well, you had other like surprise winners. I think recently, like Casey Mears winning. Uh, David yeah. Rudiman was 2009. Uh,
1: David Pearson, if I remember, didn't he win yeah. his first race at the Coke 600? He did. Yes, and uh, and Austin Dillon got his first. Oh yeah. Uh, there and, and that's kind of strange, you know. You'd think, oh, why would someone get their first win in the longest NASCAR mm-hmm. race on the schedule? And you know that's still a mystery to me because it seemed like it'd be the most difficult and the one that most drivers, you know, would have their their tongues hanging out at the end of the race. You know, a lot of times what happens on these races is the guys who come from the Xfinity Series into the Cup Series, their biggest downfall is. Uh, endurance, And they've yeah. got the best car under them. They've got the greatest crew chief. They've got the greatest crew, best car. But where the endurance problem comes into play is they're just worn out and that they can't seem to go. They could do great maybe in a 300-mile race or maybe even a 400-mile race. But that last 100 miles going into 500 miles is where they have their biggest problem and then you add that extra 100 you think well wow i mean what's what is the deal and that might be a great story to analyze someday as to why is it that these guys do so well in the 600 could it be that you know it's it's the, the race ends at night that that has some uh, play uh, i'm sure as far as the storyline goes but yeah you've got some great drivers that have broken through and won the 600 as their first event i, I just think it's interesting but uh, you're right, Bobby. Uh, Le- I think Bobby Labonte was another one that got yeah, his first Bruce, win yeah. at, at the 600, and and uh, Jeff Gordon and, and Matt and some others. But uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a tough race. It's not. I, I will go on a limb and say it's not quite as tough as it was in the day when in the mid 80s and and early 90s when the thing did finish under. Uh, in the afternoon when it was 80 and 90 degrees outside the car and maybe a gosh, 130 or something in the car. Mm -hmm. And I've heard drivers talk about how they might lose as much as 12 to 14 pounds during the race. And you think, how could that be? Well, you know, they would drink a lot of fluid trying to get through the race. And you see a lot of drivers uh, during that 600 miles, get relief drivers, and then by the end of the race, the, the original driver gets back in the car. It's, it's an enduring, yeah. hard race to get through in 400 laps, 600 miles, especially on a very, very hot May afternoon, as it was in, in its day when it, was, when it would finish under the, under the heat. And you've seen,
0: uh, you know, many different iterations of the, of the Coke Six Hundred, different cars, different drivers come and go. And, and you've kind of alluded to this a bit. Um, the driver fitness is one thing, but I also want to ask about, you know, the cars. The cars, as you said earlier, are more bulletproof today than they were, you know, even twenty years ago, thirty years ago. Parts don't fail nearly as often. So I, I do think I'm I'd be curious to hear, hear your opinion on this. The last few years, the Coke Six Hundred has become less about putting the machines to the test, putting the cars to the test. It really does more of the focus has shifted on the drivers. But, of course, these days with driver fitness and nutrition, I heard William Byron talking today about you know all the fluids and stuff, how he eats, how he eats and drinks the days leading up to the race. You know, there's a whole lot more information there and care there. Like, I just wonder, when you watch the Coke 600 the last few years and, and this year probably, like, what challenges are you most closely looking for? Because I, I, I don't feel like it's really the car these days. Like, you just don't see guys blow engines nearly
1: as often or anything like that. Right. I agree with you. I think I I do think it's fitness that what you're what you're searching for, because you're right. The cars, there is more of a a power steering uh, Mm -hmm. fitness of the car that that wasn't there in the past. You know, the cars of the past really there wasn't a lot to them as far (laughs) as uh, chassis uh, endurance and that kind of thing. I mean, they were pretty rough and gruff in, in the early days. As they got into the 80s and 90s, of course, a lot more handling to the cars uh, that helped. Uh, you got into power steering in the in the early 80s that obviously helped. If you can imagine, in the 70s, no power steering on these cars, very heavy cars too back in that era too. Uh, and the, if you looked at drivers like say a Donnie Allison, a Bobby Allison. Uh, david pearson it's sort of like the popeye effect it's what i would call it where the, where the forehand uh, forearms were just so big and because you just they had to work out uh, and that's how they got their workouts was in the car themselves and then you had to add the uh, the heat element into the race cars and 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 back in that era in the mid-70s they would use these cool suits where they have these tubes underneath the uh driver suits and and they used to have these things that uh So like a helmet, within a helmet, kind of a cloth looking thing that had these tubes running through. A lot of times, 90% of the time, those things didn't work. They were supposed to cool the driver, instead they just boiled the driver, you know, it's horrible. Those things didn't work. Something that NASA tried, and not NASCAR, but NASA come up with this idea, and most times they didn't work. So all it did was just make the driver even hotter and they would have to come out of the car and and ditch those those things so as time went on they got better and better and better but to answer your question as far as the cars of 2021 the cars are in the best shape they've ever been in as the drivers have to really work out you know jimmy johnson is great for when he was driving stock cars oh i just ran 10 miles today or i ran 15 miles today like really (laughs) it's like okay uh, I haven't ran 15 miles in my entire life but good for you so the driver endurance is something that uh, that's their best friend in this time especially in a hot environment and they try their best to get get the drivers to be as cool as possible with the cool helmets and the cool suit type things but still it gets pretty hot in those cars because if the outside temperature let's say is 85 to 90 92 degrees you know, you're still going to have a pretty hot environment in the car mm-hmm. at 130 or some odd degrees. So you got to be very, very good physically to, to endure 600 miles.
0: Yeah, we, well, we know about how you know Jimmy and, and many other drivers these days do take that physical fitness a lot more seriously. But I'd be curious to know pre 2000, let's say, or even go back to the World 600 days. Were mm-hmm. there any drivers that stood out to you, like whose fitness regimens, if you will, like that stood out to to the to people? Yeah, I
1: would say one driver I thought really did well in the car better than anybody was Bobby Allison, and Bobby, Mm -hmm. he, uh, you know, he was always good in hot environments. Matter of fact, Mm -hmm. a funny story, being from Alabama, uh, anytime writers of the 70s would write something he wasn't really fond of, he would invite newspaper guys to lunch, and then, He'd take his car, and then he would roll the windows up, and lock the doors, and turn the heat on full, and take him take them somewhere to lunch. And they and they would very politely not say anything. But he's like <laughs> Bobby, why do you have the heat on? And it's ninety degrees outside. And he said, I want to just discuss this article that you wrote last week for the Birmingham News or whatever. That I, you weren't really kind to of me. Well, he was the kind of guy who he would pick on writers and things like that, but. He was very uh, well-versed in hot conditions. He could handle the heat better than anybody. Part of that was back when he was a teenager, he basically, in a very quick way, I'll tell the story. He basically had a situation in Wisconsin where he fell from a boat and got into a very cold situation in water and just barely, almost drowned when he was 17, 18 years old he was convinced that because of that episode and he was rescued that you know brought into a hot you know into a living room and put before a fire and all that 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 episode helped him somehow to be able to handle heat in a race car mm-hmm. and uh, so when he was in these hot southern 500s at darlington or hot races at talladega or hot races at the fourth of july in daytona he felt like because of that one instance where he nearly drowned, and it just chilled him to the bone that he could handle race uh, heat uh, better than some other race car drivers could. And but it was so funny because there would be times he would you would ride with I didn't personally, but you would ride with him and he would turn the heat on full blast and roll the windows up, and he could handle it and other people couldn't. So that was an advantage to him where other drivers had to come out of race cars and couldn't handle the heat. So Bobby had the advantage when he had some very hot races.
0: That's super interesting. See, being from Texas, you know, in the summer, you get in your car and it's, you know, just boiling. I'm immediately right. AC all the way up. It comes out hot. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God, no, no, not this. <laughs> hurry, get cold, get cold. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't do that. Wow, that's that's a very interesting story.
1: I, I wonder how much truth there is to that. It, hey, if he believes it's true, I guess that, that's all yeah. that really matters, you well, know? I can tell you this, Eric, there would be times he would come to my house and – and he, he and I are very close friends, and he lives in Mooresville, not too far from Salisbury, where I live. And he would come over, and it would be, you know, an 80, 75-degree day sometimes. And he's got on, a, like, a flannel shirt. It's like, dude, what is your problem? It's 75 degrees outside. <laughs> oh, I'm just a little chilly. And, you know, Davey was that way, too. Davey would be – I could see him sometimes, and he would have on a flannel shirt and a day that I don't think would require a flannel shirt. But it's like, dude. What is up with you, Allisons? Why are you guys so cold all the time? So, anyway, he he would he was cold natured, and but Davey was, and Bobby's still cold natured. So I don't I don't know I don't get it. It it, it helps <laughs> you be a great race car driver, I guess. There's, yeah, He, he for sure. found his yeah. calling. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, the
0: Coca Cola Six Hundred this weekend going to be really exciting. I, before we jump off this topic, you know. Just in the last 10 years alone, there have been a couple, you know, fuel mileage races that have come into play. That's how Austin Dillon won in 2017. Um, and then there was, I think it was 2011 was the year Dale Jr. It looked like he he had it won coming around the final two, two, two turns and ran out of gas and lost that race. But with stage racing the way it is... <clears throat> do do you think fuel mileage racing in the coke 600 sort of is going to be become a lost art or do you think there's still a chance of of that kind of stuff happening like the last stage is still long enough it can happen but it seems less
1: likely right right yeah i think i think stage racing maybe makes it less likely but but you know what it all depends on how the cautions fall also because i mean that's the thing about the 600 it makes it so unpredictable that and that's the way it's been from day one. When they ran that race for the very first time, uh, that extra 100 miles makes it so difficult to predict. It really, really does. And even though I know we're into stage, stage racing now, uh, that, that, again, that, I say that and say that, the h- last 100 miles, uh, it, it's a friend to some drivers and strategies. It's an enemy to some drivers and strategies. And it's so hard to predict. And that goes back to what we talked about before. I think that so many times these, uh, maybe the, the rookie drivers or those that have not won, they, they sort of fall into that place to where uh, they, they find themselves in victory lane, not to say that they weren't going to be anyway, because they played the right strategy, but that, that just gives them that extra push and that extra a uh, place uh, on the racetrack that, that strategy and yeah the the stage racing does put it in a different perspective but again that extra 100 miles it's a di- a little bit of a different trump card for these guys to play now how how is it going to come down as far as uh, 25 to go 50 to go 30 to go it, it, it just makes for an interesting race I've, I've always been a big fan of the 600 a because it's different from anything else we ever do it's that extra you know end of the race that makes it very very unpredictable and uh so i I'm, i've always been a big fan of it i think it's going to be a great race and and it's feels you know it feels so good that we're finally getting back to fans coming back to oh, racetracks yeah. and this the, thank the good lord the covid stuff is we're finally getting past it we're back to you know hopefully normal racing again and I'm just excited. I'm you know, I'm just ready to go back to racing and, and get back with the program
0: me too I'm excited for a full weekend this week with practice and qualifying and yeah they say uh, no capacity limits this week so we'll hopefully see good tens of thousands of fans strong out in uh, Concord this weekend that's going to be really really fun so moving on from the Coke 600 a little bit I know Aaron and y'all usually have a segment where y'all focus on a specific number and drivers Mm -hmm. who made that car number famous so this week because it is episode 18 I figured we could as per tradition go with the 18 car so for me the first drivers I think of, just my age, right? I Think of the eighteen. I think of you know Bobby Labonte drove it when I first started watching, and you will know, won a championship in that Interstate Batteries eighteen car. Uh, obviously, recently it's been Kyle Busch has made the eighteen famous in the last twelve or thirteen years. But for you, Ben, when you think of the eighteen, who are some of the first drivers that come to mind?
1: Well, the first. First driver that comes to mind. And I have to admit to you, I'm not. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. I had to look this one up. There's a man <laughs> by the name of Marvin Burke, and you're like who the wow. heck is Marvin Burke? <laughs> yeah. But I'm. I'm about to tell you who Marvin Burke is. Marvin Burke was a driver who uh, was a well. I should say strictly stock driver for NASCAR mm. back. Uh, 80, he's the has the distinction of being the first winner in the number 18, and he did so on October 14th, 1951, at Oakland, California. Hmm. And he was driving the number 18 that day. I believe it was an Oldsmobile uh, at Oakland Stadium in Oakland, California. But uh, and there was another driver that, throughout the 1970s, uh, carried the number 18. His name was Joe Frisson and he drove Dodges uh, carrying the number 18. Did not win in the number, but big Joe Frasson. I remember him. He had red. Dodges that uh, he he drove for many years, but yeah, you're right. The the number eighteen uh, was taken to Victory Lane uh, in the modern era by Bobby Labonte, and of course Kyle bush has has run the car uh, for and won in the car for many years. But you know, I asked the question of uh, Coach Joe Gibbs once, and said, "How did you come up with the number eighteen hmm. when you formed Joe Gibbs Racing back in the early '90s?" He said, "You know what." Being a coach of the NFL for years, we just felt like we wanted a number that would, would stand out like a quarterback huh. number of the NFL. So they went with number 11, of course, course with uh, Denny Hamlin. They went with, uh, you know, of course, number 20 with Christopher Bell. And number 18, that was the original flagship number with Dale Jarrett. Uh, you know, so that that's why I said he's. I said, okay, that's simple enough. But he said that was the, a, a number the quarterback would wear on a jersey. That's the, that's the full story. So, eighteen has been a flagship number for Joe Gibbs for many years. So, there you go. That's the that's the inside scoop. That, that is eighteen. Yeah, that's a common quarterback
0: number. I think Peyton Manning wore eighteen. Uh... Oh, gosh, I'm not a big football guy. But yeah, I, who, who, who did Joe Gibbs ever coach a, a number 18 quarterback? I, I
1: don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I got to be honest with you, man. I'm a full fledged NASCAR yeah, guy. You I know. Don't, the only time I, I'm really into football is I will watch the playoffs and I will watch the Super Bowl. But I have to say, I'm not very well versed when it comes to football. To
0: football and my, my so. team has been uh stuck in that mediocre mediocre state since well i'm from houston the texans have only been around for 20 yeah. years and they've never anyway so no I, i'm with you there it's a i'm a very much a fair weather football fan but that's pretty interesting to hear from joe gibbs well the 18 car i mean it's won championships with labani it's won championships with kyle bush i mean even looking in lower series as well joe gibbs has used the 18 car quite a bit um I, I want to get you, this is completely off the cuff, but I want to hear your, your thoughts on some of these young guys that Joe Gibbs, what do you think of Ty Gibbs? He hasn't driven the 18, he's always in the 54. What do you think of,
1: like, Ty Gibbs? I, I'll be honest <laughs> with you, he looks really strong as a driver, and I think uh, I think we're going to hear a lot from him as, as time goes on. He, I mean, he's very impressive to me. Uh, obviously, he's got some really good equipment under him. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be fair, with of course. Joe Gibbs racing, uh, you know giving him a shot and their cars but goodness I mean you know you come right out there and and you know you can sort of tell the ones that have the talent and I, I got to be fair I, I like what I see and I think he's going to do extremely well as, as time goes on you know kind of reminds me in a way of Adam Petty when Adam came on board uh, and and really made some waves in 99 and of course sadly we lost adam in 2000 but i mean he was immediately good behind the wheel uh when he qualified for his first race there at texas motor speedway in and uh, uh april of 2000 and he just looked you know you see drivers and you just see how good they look behind the wheel and and how comfortable they look and and ties that way he just looks like he's very comfortable behind the wheel and he got a lot of talent and i think he's going to go places i really do I also want to ask this because this is
0: something that came up. I was talking to my dad recently and, and one of his friends who doesn't know much about NASCAR, but um, he was asking about drivers who have kind of like the difference, like what drivers are good because they just are naturally talented. Like they just, they have that good but but feel of what the car's doing and they yep. just kind of naturally are good at versus what drivers really have to like study and do their homework and things like that. I feel like you look at a, a Kyle Larson, he can get into just about anything and be competitive. I feel like I'm not saying he doesn't do his homework and research and work at it hard, but he's also just naturally seems to have a great feel for it. Like uh like covering NASCAR for many many years, what are some drivers that to you stood out as just Man, they could get into anything and immediately be fast. They didn't have to know what it was; they just knew how to drive a race car really fast. Right.
1: Right. Well, those types of guys, and and you know, Kyle, I'm not to not to copy what you're saying there, but Kyle is a really good example in the respect that you know the ones that you have to learn. You have to go back to maybe the guys who can drive dirt. You know what I mean mm-hmm. by that is, let's look at Jeff Gordon for instance, Jeff and Tony Stewart. Okay, those guys who could basically get into anything loose, meaning uh, a sprint car, for instance. Yeah. And and I go back to Bobby Allison again. Bobby's old school, but he's the kind of guy who could get in anything, and outdo the guy whose name is on the roof line. Okay, because mm-hmm. he could get into. Uh, an Indy car, he could get into any type of sports car and and outrun the guy who's assigned to the car and really made some people mad who were assigned to some of those cars And because he was better than they were. <laughs> and Bobby, I've always said Bobby could drive a washing machine if it had wheels on it. He was just that good. And you have to have that seat of the pants sort of Donnie Allison's that way. Donnie was the kind of guy who could... Uh, get into an indy car for he, he like twice he got into an indy car and never had sat down in one and had top 10 finishes in the indy 500 wow and amazing because you're looking at such a difference between open wheel cars and stock cars because of the weight because of the way they feel and and the drive trains underneath where a, an Indy car, you barely turn the wheel, back in that era, you barely turn the wheel on an Indy car, and on a stock car, you're, try, you're turning it halfway to Georgia. Yeah, And you know, and in and, and a stock car. And you gotta have a, C, a true, true see the pants feel to be that good in a race car. And Donnie was very much that way, and Bobby too. And so that's why you see those guys who rise to the top. And so in a modern era situation, kyle larson is very much that way where he could get into a stock car and then three nights later at eldora or somewhere like that and get into a sprint car and just set the world on fire so yeah there's some that are great race car drivers don't get me wrong but some are just see of the pants great guys who it's so hard to describe but jeff gordon was that way kyle larson's that way anybody who can adapt it's better to do it's better to go i think from dirt to asphalt you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and and be able to just whatever you decide to sit in and, and and adapt you can adapt to anything you get you know that you race and quickly adapt to it then you're you're one of the best yeah, I think
0: it's just it's interesting. I feel like more and more of the young drivers getting into the sport today kind of more follow that seat of the pants feel where you know they know what they're doing. They do the homework, there's so much information and data out there to see, you know, where you should be lifting, where you should be braking, right. things like that. But it does feel like I I, it, I thought of it because I see Ty Gibbs as kind of that way, as someone who just seems to just get into the car and immediately looks super duper comfortable going to tracks he's never been to before. I feel like that's just a natural talent that's difficult to to teach, difficult to coach. But I know growing up in in the early 2000s or mid 2000s being a fan of guys like matt kenseth i feel like you know, i remember hearing him talk about how you know he, he was working in garage or he, the garage he was working on his dad's race cars when he was really young and he. Knows every piece inside out of 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 a race car usually, but compare that to a lot of young guys that get into the sport today. I feel like drivers today don't have as firm of an understanding of everything that's going on underneath the car and inside the car. And that doesn't always necessarily matter, as you know. Kyle Larson's been very successful, and other drivers, young drivers, have been very successful. But th- that is an interesting difference, and 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 I think. I, I like to I get big picture on this stuff all the time. But I, I like I think of that as sort of indicative of, of NASCAR and racing, just motorsport fans in general. I feel like in general people these days don't have as close of an attachment to their day-to-day, you know, vehicles and it's more about the personalities. It's more about sure. who's putting on the show, who's interesting, who's exciting, who's on social media, things like that. And so I, I just think it's kinda it's interesting how it feels like the to me at least the drivers have followed a similar pattern, a similar trend as the real world fans are when it comes to supporting
1: motorsports, But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that as well. Well, but you know what, Eric, it surprised me and it surprised a lot of people that we thought the dirt track guys, to reverse a little bit of what I was just saying, we thought they do extremely well at Bristol. And Uh, they really didn't. I mean, it was almost like a (laughs) the pants thing. I'm just going to throw everything out the window and just see what happens because you know uh joey logano won that race and we we really truly thought uh that kyle larson and maybe chase and some of those guys might do super well it just didn't happen now <laughs> there's a lot of factors to that you had okay you had uh dirt on top of asphalt you had a track that maybe people weren't you know totally on board with as far as the setup i mean i i don't know what happened okay i'm not i don't <laughs> i'm not a professor at all that they don't know what happened right so i'm just saying every we we really don't have the numbers and the the know-how as to what why things happen the way they happen that was the very first time now when they go back they might have some data that they can look at and maybe come out better but that that particular race kind of surprised a lot of people as far as we, we, i too thought kyle larson and jason some of those guys were just going to set the world on fire it just didn't happen that time so it, it, it's hard to predict sometimes has how all oh, this is going to come down uh but let's be fair i mean that was an experiment with dirt on top mm-hmm. of asphalt now that wasn't a true dirt track like eldora or something to that effect so we had fun with it. Let's go back and try it again and see how it goes. Right? I remember that we don't race. Have all the answers every time. Yeah, I remember that race.
0: They they interviewed Daniel Suarez during one of the stage breaks, and he's I don't know what I'm doing out here, and he was running
1: first or second. You know, I'm like, oh well, yeah. And sometimes a, that's the best way to race. When you do not know? What you're doing? Right? So I, apparently. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we don't always have all the answers.
0: So. It's you know he, he he doesn't know you that he's not supposed to be good. It's like when a rookie phenom shows up in baseball and hits 350 his first year. He just he doesn't know any better. He just out there swinging the bat—that that was and Bristol that, dirt.
1: That might have been exactly why they some of them did as well as they did, because they had nothing to compare to. So they mm-hmm. just go out and have some fun and see what happens. No bad habits, no habits at all. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, so there this you is. Go. This has been super interesting. so I, I kind of want to wrap up this episode, spend this last little segment. Uh, so my show is very much current events, trending things. what's What are people talking about today? What are the what, what we're looking towards the future? What's coming up right around the corner for NASCAR? And since I have you here, Ben, and you've been watching yeah. NASCAR for you've been covering NASCAR for decades, uh, I want to kind of put you on the spot with a few topics here. I kind of want to get your take on some of, some of the trendier things going on around NASCAR, and I want to see if you have any, you know, past examples or things you can compare it to, enlighten me a little bit, if you will. Okay. Uh, that that that's what I'm looking for here. But uh, I'm sure you've seen, you've see, heard the the rumors, the discussions about NASCAR teams and s- sliding the door numbers back on the side of the car to make extra room for sponsors. I, I know it years ago, but early days of NASCAR's door numbers were all over the place. Sometimes you had numbers on the hood, things like that. But for years, it's been centrally located like that. You know, what's your opinion on that? Do you think that's something that that you're a fan of or are you sort of like ah
1: oh, what are they doing? Okay, I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel about it. I am <laughs> today at this time I am I am kicking and screaming. I'm not a fan of it, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to do it this way. I'm trying to be open-minded about it, but I'm not I'm not a fan of it and the reason is It's almost, to me, it's almost like, okay, we've been, this is the NFL and for 75 years we've been playing with a football that's shaped like this, but now we're going to go back to a round, (laughs) basketball-sized football, okay? I, I just don't, I understand the reasoning behind it. I understand you're trying to get more space for sponsors, but it's almost like messing around with the foundation of the sport, to me. I'm try, I'm 60 years old, and I'm trying really, really hard to be on board, okay? And yeah. by the time it happens, I'm probably going to have to be because I'm probably going to do it, okay? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I, did, I just, I don't know. And, it, and it, let's say it this way. It's, I compare this to being, putting roll bars in a race car for the first time, mm-hmm. okay? It's a big change, and some people said, why are you putting roll bars in a race car i mean we've never had roll bars in a race car before why are we doing this it's a major major change we've always had numbers in the middle of the door and on top of the car which it'll still be on top of the car but it's just something i'm trying to get used to and and i'm trying to be on board and it's the same thing as trying to get me to wear a certain type of shorts or something you know what i'm saying i'm just (laughs) trying I'm trying to get on board, okay? And I'm by the time they do it, I'll uh, maybe I'll be on board. It's just a big, it's a big change.
0: Yeah. It's cosmetic really, but it is a big, big change. That's such a, uh, to me, the numbers on the door, like the, the 43, the three, that font, especially that's like the team logos, you know, yes. like drivers come and go every 15, 20 years usually. But you know, the brand it s- sticks around mm-hmm. more often than not. So I am with, you. I'm kind of with, you. I'm on the fence. I I'm, I'm sort of the way I've warmed up to it is as long as they keep the numbers big, because they're important to me and they don't slide yeah. them so far back that they're like up on the, 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 fender and getting all warped and stuff that would look really bad but i'm with you it's it's a it's a difficult change i think to grasp but uh, one other question i have that sort of a, a, involves big changes coming and then i have a couple yeah. other not as change related yeah, sure. questions but uh so what do you feel about nascar potentially racing at street course races in the near future bringing the cup series to to maybe chicago i heard mexico city could be a possibility i guess that they could run the formula one course down there what what do you think about that ben I, I'm
1: I'm way more on board with that than I am the numbers. Okay, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Me too. I, mean, I think. I, I think so. I I could get on board with that train a lot faster than the number thing. I, you know, I could see where that could be opened up to, uh, you know, more markets, more venues, yeah. bringing it to cities, maybe easier than. You know, you know, because when you when you try, but I'm also open to ma- to maybe bringing racing to racetracks once instead of twice, and that way you open mm-hmm. up more more markets in other areas. Also, I'm also open to bringing uh, NASCAR back to places like North Worksboro Motors or North Wilkesboro Speedway. That, that was a yeah. huge mistake, I think, to take racing away from North Worksboro. but. Yeah, to answer your question, I'm I'm way I'm way more on board with that than moving the numbers to the quarter panels. Yeah, not happy with that. That's going to be hard for me to swallow. That it's going to be really really hard for me. I'm old school. Yeah, it's hard for me to do that.
0: Well, I I'm, I'm with you I, I definitely like the the street course possibility just throwing even just just, just one not five but like one maybe right. maybe two the next gen car might run really well at these road courses but yeah bringing the sport to new markets and and stuff like that that's to me that's a really cool opportunity um, you kind of you you started to hit on another question I had but you know you've probably also heard the, the North Carolina state government is has, has is giving Wilkesboro giving Rockingham giving Charlotte ten million dollars each each for renovations and things like that. So with all the talk from Speedway Motorsports, you know, do you, I, I obviously it sounds like you want North Wilkesboro back, but do you think North Wilkesboro comes back to the NASCAR Cup schedule or any NASCAR gets any NASCAR race in the next couple of years?
1: I do. I think so, and I think uh, you know it brings back an an economic value to the areas that we're talking about. Listen, mm-hmm. North Wilkesboro is an awesome racetrack yeah. even today. It needs a lot of. Uh, work as far as uh structural buildings and such but the track's not in bad shape it is it can be revamped as far as north carolina motor speedway it's not in bad shape at all buildings around it sure it needs to be reworked but they should have never left those areas to begin with. I'm, I think that would be very, very good for the economic impact in those areas too. And, and fans would love to come back to those racetracks. They, they had some awesome races there. Uh, very quickly, I remember a couple, just very quickly. Uh, Neil Bonnet, Harry Gant, uh, 1985 uh, bumper-to-bumper finishes there. Kale uh, mm-hmm. Yarborough, uh, Daryl Waltrip, close finishes there. The racing was excellent. I think what took them away was the, you know, maybe they just didn't think they had enough fans going. But the fans want them back. Yeah. And th- then they went to other markets. That, that, by the way, they're at Fontana Speedway out in California. They're building a, a half mile track inside the big track. It's like, what does that tell you? It's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, we we need to maybe we yeah. should have never left to start with. So. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that kind of thing. And, and growth is what NASCAR needs, and fans are wanting it back. So, mm-hmm. yeah, by all means, bring them back. Yeah, and so, yeah,
0: you've covered races at North Wilkesboro for for many, many years. You talked about it a little bit, but do you have a favorite moment
1: or favorite race that you remember being at at that track? Oh, gosh. Um, th- <laughs> I mean, there's just so many, uh, uh, I don't mean to evade the question, but there's just so many great races there where, I, very quickly, I remember one time, Adele Earnhardt and Ricky Rudd were battling for the win with a lap to go, and they crashed each other out, mm. and Jeff Bodine was running third, and Jeff ends up winning the race, and, and Earnhardt and Rudd are nose-to-nose, and their crews are nose-to-nose, There's many of those types of races that, yeah, and, and I'll be honest, the, the, one of the North Wilkesboro, many, many races at North Wilkesboro, the press had a choice between a quarter moonshine or a bag of apples, and you had a choice. <laughs> and to be quite honest there was a lot of apples left at the, a lot of those races if you know what I mean uh, sounds but, like you know, it. <laughs> and you and they ended up giving the apples and the, and the moonshine away so we, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just you know it's just fun I'm t- so I'm saying yeah. it was fun for the fans it was fun for the drivers fun for for the media and it was just a good Sunday afternoon of racing and that's what where we got away from that we need to get back to that absolutely I, I, I t-
0: I was not born when when they – or I was born after NASCAR left North Wilkesboro Speedway. So I have like no sentimental attachment to it other than all the great replays I've seen like that one finish you're talking about with uh, Bodine winning. But Even that, even me having no sentimental connection to it. I'd love to see North Wilkesboro come back, just because I want to see that track return to its former glory. I want to see modern dr- drivers and modern cars on it, and I want to see the fans come back because that area of the country is su- still such a NASCAR hotbed. That's still where you know many of the roots of the sport lay, and I think that would be a super, super awesome track to see return and and get restored into some something great. Uh, I had two other questions. Uh, sure. I don't I, know. I, I call this segment like the minefield. I'm putting you on the spot, but I, I want to hear like someone who's covered the sport for years and years. I want to hear what you, what they think about um, all these different changes and news stories. But what do you think of? It sounds very likely. What do you think of Brad Keselowski uh, leaving Penske to become a driver slash co-owner at Roush Fenway Racing? Like, do you think that's a smart move for him? Do you think that's a smart move for Roush?
1: Yeah, I think it's a very smart move, and I think it's the timing is perfect for mm. Brad. It might be perfect for Roush, and the reason I say that is because, you know, I don't know exactly how old he is. I should know that, but I don't. I think it's the timing is right for this to happen. I know he said for many years he wants to be a team owner in, in the Cup Series, and he's built, you know, of course, that that foundation a little bit. He's He's been a Truck Series owner for years. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's currently a truck series owner. I should know that, too, and I don't. No. But uh, I, I know he's had an interest in that, and I, I think he wants to do that. To make the deal sweet enough for him to move from Team Jenski, that has to happen. And, yeah, I mean, he's looking at his future. He's probably not going to be driving 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to set the foundation for that to come up. Uh, for him to have a future in the sport because drivers who leave the sport and don't have a team owner uh, situation, as Mark Martin has said many times, if I go to the racetrack, what am I going to do with myself? And that's why Mark stepped away. And that's why you don't see Mark here now. And he says that very respectfully. He says, there's nothing for me to do. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Brad, it comes from a racing family and he wants to be a part of it. And uh, that's a perfect way to be a part of it, and also to mentor young drivers who come to, to Rashfin Way. So, yeah, that's a, I see that very much happening. And, uh, yeah, he'd be a great team owner to not only be in the management side, but also be a mentor to young drivers, yeah.
0: Roush Fenway Racing is an interesting team because they've seen so many changes throughout the years. It was originally just Roush. They've had they've won championships in the, in the, from championships in the early 2000s to, you know, now they're struggling to make the playoffs. They got the Fenway mm-hmm. group involved like in your in your uh experience covering Roush, what's what's made Roush different than other big, you know, championship contending teams
1: over the years? Well, they they They're a great organization, and they've got an immense talent over there in in drivers uh, lineups. They've got Jimmy Fennig, who has been Mm -hmm. a crew chief, and he's he's managing the teams. And, of course, uh, Jack Roush himself is extremely talented as far as the engineering side. But, you know, with all of these race teams, it's more and more competitive every single year. And, you know, you, you, the, the slightest little thing, and there's not that many things left anymore that you can take to a race team mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and say, hey, I've got a little bit of an advantage. There's, the advantages are almost gone now. You can't be a crew member or a team dr- or a driver and say, hey, I've got this advantage or that advantage. So, uh, you know, you just, you gotta find uh, the, the small tweaks and, and the small things uh, to find any kind of advantage anymore. So yeah, I mean, what you're seeing now are drivers, uh, you know, moving into future management situations, I think, if that's answering your question. I just sure. think, I think they're, uh, and all teams, all teams, I think they're so, you know, you're seeing merger type situations, if that, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. where the competitiveness is so vivid and so strong, to get anywhere anymore, I mean, gosh, it's so competitive. And you just got to search high and low to find any advantage. And that maybe that's partly what this is about. Who approached whom is the question. Did, did Brad go to them? Did they go to him? Uh, but to be competitive, present day and future, you, you just got to throw everything at it and, and hope to find some, some magic. That's what you're searching for, no matter what team you're with or whatever.
0: Absolutely. I think we've seen that with so many teams, So the technical alliances alone. That's just, you know, there's right. a handful that hold all the cards. They've got the competitive parts. If you want in, you got to play, you got to find a way to team up and partner with them. So that's that's interesting. I'm excited about it. I, I think that'll be cool to see Brad Keselowski at Roush, and hopefully he can help propel that team into stronger days once again. Uh, my final mm-hmm. question, and I know this is called a lifetime in NASCAR, but you got to have seen something about the superstar racing experience starting in uh, less than a month. Tony Stewart, Bobby Labonte, Michael Waltrip, what are the other NASCAR guys, in? Bill Elliott, several
1: others. How do you feel about the superstar racing? Are you
0: going to watch the superstar racing experience?
1: Absolutely. I think it's the <laughs> coolest thing. that's come down the pike in quite some time. Uh, coolest thing since the IROC series yeah. that was up many years ago just fun to see these guys get back in the seat you know they're chomping at the bit to get back in a competitive car again and mm-hmm. and you know these guys who are racers will always be racers doesn't matter how how old they are they've well, they want so badly to get behind the wheel again and tony and ray evanham are giving them that opportunity again it's going to be fun to watch it's only a six race series and I know, you know, they they don't want to go out there and tear up Tony's cars. Of course, <laughs> they don't. They don't want to do that. But they're going to be competitive. I mean, they yeah. are. And Tony wants them to be competitive. Listen, Tony's not going to sell them, okay, guys, this is a cakewalk, and please don't wrinkle my, my fenders. <laughs> He's not telling them that. He don't want them to be that way because Tony's not that way. Mm-hmm. But they, they're going to get out there and be competitive. And they're going to have fun with it. Uh, it's going to be a good show. I will definitely be on the edge of my seat watching from wherever i am and it's going to be it's going to be a really good thing and i hope it happens this year and next year and the year after and the year after and however many years they've signed the deal for and you're going to have a a wide interested audience and uh i think it's a great thing and and i uh, kudos to tony and ray and everybody involved in that and i wish them the very very best it's going to be fun
0: yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be super great. And the track lineup as well, going to so many you know fantastic short tracks that are known for producing great racing action. That's going to be awesome. Do you have a pick? Who, If you had to pick uh, who you think is going to be the best, do you think it's going to be Tony? Do you think someone any of the IndyCar guys, do you think anyone else has something for him?
1: Well, I promise you this much. I mean, Tony has prob- we will tell him in the driver's meeting, bring back the steering wheel. I don't care about the cars. <laughs> or, matter of fact, just keep the steering wheel if you want it. But to answer your question – i don't know man i mean it's got there's some a lot of a lot of talent there but golly man it's gonna be hard to pick I, 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 i'm i'm I gonna say tony i mean it's, it's tony's deal it's gonna be, look kind of fishy if tony wins <laughs> tony or bobby labani is my pick i yeah. mean i i know i still think bobby labani's got a lot of fire left i really do think i think tony's a great competitor and and bobby too i just I really do think anybody in that field, they're not going to just lay back. They're going they're going to want a final win to final trophy to put on the shelf.
0: Yeah, I I was thinking the same thing. Labani was up there as one of my picks because he's still he's on the modified tour. Is he doing that full time this year? Because he's still racing every almost every so. week.
1: Yeah, see that tells you right there he's still got that fire and he mm-hmm. cannot let go. He just <laughs> he doesn't want to do another cup deal or something like that or expand the deal, but he's not ready to stop. He, he still wants to race and. Still got the competitive fire in him. And he, believe me, he he will be very, very strong, I believe. Tony will. You know Tony will. There's yeah. no question about that. But uh, it's hard. Those IndyCar guys, they're not going to share their hand until a lap to go to. All of those guys are good. All of them are still. Yeah. No, it's going to be fun. It's going to be cool. It's certainly exciting. The, kind of the
0: spiritual successor to iRock in many ways. I hope it sticks around for many years to come. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for episode 18. Yeah. Ben, thank you so much for inviting me into y'all's dojo, into your show this week. It was a ton of fun learning more about you. And, and I appreciate
1: you uh, answering my questions about modern day welcome. NASCAR trends. Really great well, to meet you. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Very, very good talking to you and very good to meet you and hoping to do it some more absolutely we'll be back next well ben will be back with aaron
0: hopefully uh next week after the coca-cola 600 i hope it's a fantastic race i hope everyone enjoys it be sure to listen to the other podcasts on the out of the groove podcast network including noah talks nascar and the nascar weekly podcast but that's going to do it for us on behalf of ben white i'm eric estep thank you all for listening to a lifetime in nascar